Listen to me, you that pursue righteousness, you that seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you, as we always do, to be here with us this morning, and we trust that you are here in this place. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Please sit. Look, here's the thing about Diet Coke. It's delicious. It makes me feel good. Life is short. If you want to live in a yurt, yurt it up. If you want to run a marathon, I mean, that sounds super hard, but okay. I mean, just do you, whatever that is. And if you're in the mood for a Diet Coke, have a Diet Coke. This is the world's secret to happiness. Do what you want to do. Whatever makes you feel good, that's the world's sermon to you. And of course, it doesn't just show up in advertising like the commercial I just read to you. I've been dipping back tentatively into punk rock music lately, and it's a common refrain there too. I'm not some schmuck who does what I'm told. I do what I want. I do what I feel like. It's like the angry version of the Diet Coke ad. Just do you. So, when the pain and struggle of human life threatens your happiness, do whatever you want. If Diet Coke will make you happy, drink some. If living in a yurt or running a marathon will bring you joy, do those things. Of course, what isn't fully fleshed out in a 30-second ad for a soft drink is... What happens when you're doing the thing that is supposed to make you happy and it doesn't work? What do you do when a Diet Coke doesn't silence that deep, dark whisper in your subconscious that everything's not as it should be, that everything's not okay? What if living in a yurt or running a marathon doesn't solve all your problems? What then? Well, the world suggests that you turn even deeper inside. If Diet Coke isn't enough, go further. Plumb the depths of yourself. Find out who you really are. And if you can be true to that, you'll be happy. You'll hear people talking about this often. Finding and expressing their truest self. Now, people have been engaged in this project in earnest and in public since at least the sexual revolution. But that's just when You Do You went mainstream. You Do You, of course, was the very suggestion that the serpent made to Adam and Eve in the garden. You Do You is just the modern translation of, did God really say? And guess what? From that moment... When we decided that you do you was the motto to live by, from that moment, we have felt shame, wrapped ourselves in fig leaves, and have been running away from God. That's what Adam and Eve did, and we've been doing the same ever since. There's even a modern corollary to the fig leaves. 
You can find it in the rates of the consumption of antidepressant medication. Everyone believes in you do you, and everyone is depressed. The Bible, of course, takes a suspicious view of you do you, and not just in the Adam and Eve story. St. Paul, writing to the Galatians, says explicitly that the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And then in Romans, he describes the judgment of God as him allowing people to do what they want. He talks about the Lord giving the people up to the lusts of their hearts and to their dishonorable passions. So when Diet Coke, punk rock, and the sexual revolution suggest that doing what you want is the solution to your problems, the Bible seems to make the opposite assertion. Doing what you want, according to the scriptures, is your problem. The classic popular representation of this is King Minos's labyrinth in Greek mythology. Theseus descends deeper and deeper into the core, and once he reaches the center, finds the Minotaur, a beast that's half man and half bull, who has been eating sacrificed young people from neighboring Athens for generations. And this is the truth of the interior search. A monster is always what we find at the end of our search within. As Jeremiah observed last week, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. The cartoonist Walt Kelly wrote, we have met the enemy and he is us. There's bad news for the world's suggestion that we be true to our interior selves. We are the minotaur at the center of our labyrinths, looking to the inside for our salvation will only get us devoured. So, if the world's suggestion is that we look inside for the solution, and we know that doesn't work, where else can we turn? Well, religion has a different answer. And for a moment here, I'd like to talk about sort of generic religion in air quotes, not gospel Christianity. There are, of course, many religions that have nothing to do with the saving work of Jesus Christ. And there are also, tragically, some versions of what is called Christianity that doesn't have much to do with the gospel either. Another word for these systems might be something like moralism, but the world conflates moralism with religion anyway. So just for a second, I'm talking about religion, in quotes, divorced from the good news of the crucified and resurrected Jesus. Religion suggests that when, time, when times get tough, you should look not to the you within, but instead ahead to an idealized you. A you that you might be. A you that you could become. If Diet Coke wants you to be the you that you are right now, 
whether that's living in a yurt or running a marathon or any of the other things that the world seems to want you to be, like a completely unhindered sexual being or a totally and universally open-minded citizen of the world, if the world wants you to be true to the current you, religion wants you to become the you that you ought to be. Be the change you wish to see in the world is a good example of this. I see yard signs in my neighborhood that say, be kind. That's religion's sermon. Do better. Try harder. Consider the Buddha's famous last words. I exhort you, he said. All compounded things are subject to vanish. Strive unceasingly. This is the final sermon of religion. Strive unceasingly. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a place for striving in gospel Christianity. We are called to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. We are called to honor our father and mother. We are called to turn the other cheek to our enemies. These are not things that come naturally. They would never happen if you do you was the extent of our calling. We must strive for them. But ultimately, there can be no peace in the search for salvation or comfort in a future you, in a better you. I'll feel better when I blank, or everything will be okay when blank are sentences that never have a satisfactory end. As holy an action as you could put in the blank, it just doesn't work. I'll feel better when I read the Bible more. I'll feel better when I'm closer to Jesus. Everything will be okay when I'm more obedient to God's commands. These are all good things, and it is right to strive, to read the Bible, to be close to Jesus, to obey God's commands. But in gospel Christianity, this striving is propelled and compelled by the prior good news of having been saved, having been loved while we were yet sinners. Doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly with God. These are not things that are used as an avenue to get us peace. They proceed from us as a result of the peace we have already been given in Christ. You see, striving alone, disconnected from the one-way love of Jesus Christ for sinners, is not gospel Christianity. It's just generic religion. Did you notice all the eyes in those sentences? I'll feel better when I, everything will be okay when I. These sentences are all about you. It turns out that non-gospel religion is just as self-centered as the world. The world says, you do you, and religion says, become a better you. It's still all about you. Both of those exhortations are focused on you. And neither of them is good news. Both of them finally lead to the Minotaur, to death and destruction. 
So, so where does actual good news come from? Where can we find real peace? How is it that we are finally saved? Well, the psalmist asks this question explicitly in Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? His answer, though, is quite different from either the world's answer, you do you, or fake religion's answer, become a better you. My help, he sings, comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. There are no exhortations here. Simply a description of a God who will never tire of protecting his people. There's nothing about you at all except as the recipient of God's mercy and grace. The prophet Isaiah promises that this psalmist's song is not just a song, but actually a promise proclaiming these same things in the words of the Lord himself. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath, for the heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. Those who live on it will die like gnats. But my salvation will be forever. My deliverance will never be ended. That's Isaiah 51, verse 6, the last verse of our reading from Isaiah this morning. And what a promise. My salvation will be forever. My deliverance will never be ended. That sounds like good news. That sounds like a source of peace. That sounds like actual salvation. But how, we might ask, can we stay focused on it? How can we avoid the twin temptations of the world and of fake religion? How can we avoid thinking that you do you might lead to peace? Or that be a better you might be a source of salvation? Well, thank God Isaiah has some advice for us too. A little helpful hint to stay focused on the good news, the actual good news. This is Isaiah 51, verse 1. Listen to me, you that pursue righteousness, you that seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Don't look anywhere else Lock your eyes on Almighty God, creator of the world and sender of its Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the good news about your salvation. And not just your salvation, but your very identity. It's not about you. It's about 
Jesus, the world is wrong. You do you is bad news. The gospel is not about who you are. It's about whose you are. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Non-gospel religion is wrong too. Be a better you is bad news. The gospel is not what you might do. The gospel is what God has done in Jesus Christ for you. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. And the attendant beauty of the gospel, the result of Christ's finished work, is that you are in fact a new creation. Someone who will do the things your sinful nature would have prevented you from doing. You will do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. You will honor your father and your mother. You will turn the other cheek to your enemies. These and other miracles will accompany the new you. The one who has been hewn from the very rock that is Christ Jesus. On account of Christ's finished work for you, accomplished on a criminal's cross outside Jerusalem's walls all those years ago, and then ratified three days later by the empty tomb, on account of his finished work, you are God's. He is the rock from which you were hewn, the quarry from which you were dug. If you look to yourself whether the one that you are right now or the idealized version of what you might become, if you look to yourself for salvation, you will be lost, devoured by the minotaur. That you, in fact, is already dead beyond saving. But we have a God of resurrection. We have a God of new life. A God who gives you a new name. Look always to him. Keep your eyes locked on him. He is the source of your comfort. He is the source of your salvation, not you. Him. Isaiah, just a few chapters before the prophecy we read this morning, shares a comforting word for your discomforted soul. The almighty God, creator of the universe says to you, I have called you by name. You are mine. In Christ, you, even you and me, are given a new name. You are called beloved. You are called righteous. You are called Saved. The Buddha said, strive unceasingly. Jesus said, it is finished. And on account of him, it is. Amen.